But until then, we have some work to do. Uh, so let's be diligent in keeping uh, the, uh, the task before us always here at Brentwood Oaks. Uh, so last week, we talked about Pentecost Sunday because it was Pentecost Sunday. And the day of Pentecost is a Jewish festival for the harvest. It is the festival of the first fruits. Uh, but of course, for believers, it is a special day in the life of the church. When we read Acts chapter 2, it's, it's the fulfillment of, of the prophecies, as in Ezekiel, for example. You think about the valley of dry bones and how the, the people were scattered like bones in exile, and yet God in Ezekiel 37 gathers the bones together and reassembles them and gives them flesh and then puts His very Spirit inside of them, bringing new life to a people. And on the day of Pentecost, centuries later, God's Spirit was poured out upon the disciples. The Spirit filled the temple, the covenant people of God. It's a temple not made with hands, but it is a people. And then the disciples began to speak in tongues. And so what you have on the day of Pentecost is a kind of reversal of the day of the Tower of Babel. If you recall in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, we're left with the people scattered over the, over the earth and their languages are confused. But on the day of Pentecost, all the nations are gathered in Jerusalem and they understand what the disciples are saying in their own language. Uh, the day of Pentecost is the embodiment of what we talked about last week. The last words of Jesus there on the mountain of Galilee with the Great Commission. When Jesus says, Behold, I am with you all the days, even to the end of the age. God has not abandoned us in mission. God takes the jump with us. Emmanuel is present with us through His Spirit. The reason why I bring up Pentecost again is because of where we're headed next in this series as we think about the theme of bringing people to faith. Because one of the traditions of the day of Pentecost, uh, the Jews read the beloved book of Ruth. And we're going to be in Ruth in this series. So if you would, turn to the book of Ruth. It's a very short book, wedged between Judges and 1 Samuel. Uh, Judges being a very dark book. If you've read it lately, you'll know that uh, Judges is really a picture of fallenness in the fallen world. And then right after Judges, you have this beautiful story of redemption, the story of Ruth. Ruth is a book about a barley harvest, but it's much more than that. Ruth is a story of tragedy, and grief, resilience, and faith. It's a story of honor and integrity. It's a story of romance, but it's also a story that goes much deeper than that. It's, it's a story about, uh, the Hebrew word is hesed, steadfast love. But ultimately, it's a story of God's redemptive purposes that are played out in the lives of ordinary people trying to navigate this broken world. So this next series of sermons will come from the book of Ruth. Uh, Mark Ship has graciously uh, volunteered to preach a back-to-back -back sermon series in the middle of June. I'm going to be away at school. Uh, so the series is going to be split up a bit. 
Uh, But the title of this series comes from a book called God Behind the Scene. Now notice I didn't say God Behind the Scenes. That's a given. Uh, God is at work in in the lives of the people of Scripture, working things out behind the scenes. But this is called God Behind the Scene, S-E-E-N. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. I do want to invite you to mark another passage of Scripture, and that is Deuteronomy chapter 10, the fifth book of the Bible. So if you want to just mark that, we're going to be there as well. And Deuteronomy and Ruth are not too far apart. But we begin this morning in Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, which means pleasant. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites, excuse me, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. May God bless the reading of his word. So I got some new glasses this week, and uh, they've received mixed reviews in our house as far as the frames go. I don't care. I can see again. Some of you may have noticed a few months ago that I took my glasses off, and that's really where it happened. I don't wear contact lenses, but it was here at the pulpit where one Sunday morning I looked out and I saw you through my glasses, crystal clear, And I looked down at my notes, and I couldn't see my notes, and I had to make a choice. Do I want to see you, or do I want to see my notes? And I need to see my notes. So in the last few months, if you thought I was looking right at you during a specific point, uh, chances are you were blurry at best. If you were worried about me noticing you falling asleep in the last few months, don't worry, you're safe. But now I have my eyes on you again. And I can see my notes. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because vision is so critical for the people of God. And we have some people in here who struggle mightily with vision. Some of you are legally blind. We actually have a young man who comes here frequently who is blind. And I can't imagine all the challenges that go along with that. That's not the kind of vision that I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about this morning is kingdom vision. 
seeing people the way that God sees them, to see the invisibles that so often disappear in the periphery. Can you see them this morning? The weak, the frail, the vulnerable, the marginalized. How is your vision this morning? Do you need a new set of lenses? Well, the book of Ruth is perhaps one of the best prescriptions that we could have for a church that's seeking to see the invisibles the way that God sees them. But there's one group in particular that stands out. And so we think about all the different groups of people that God has his eyes on. Uh, Doug mentioned in his prayer this morning of those who have special needs. And certainly God has a, a very special place in his heart for people with special needs. But this morning, as we read the book of Ruth, and as we think about our connection with Academy 4, it's the sojourners that come to mind. The resident aliens. The immigrants. Ruth is an immigration story. And already I know your ears have perked up with the word immigration. So let me tell you here at the beginning what this sermon is not, what the series is not. This is not about the national debate on immigration and the border, specifically illegal immigration. That is a tangled mess. It's complex. It's controversial. It's politically polarizing and highly divisive. If we were to take a poll of the pews, we would have the whole spectrum here. We are politically diverse as a group of people. We'd have the whole spectrum of ideas and thoughts about the border. I have my own convictions, but last time I checked, Washington, D.C. has not called me to ask for my opinion. I'm sure they haven't asked for yours either. But what this series is about are the human faces that God has put in our midst just a few miles from this church. The Hondurans, the Venezuelans, the Cubans. Actually, there's a long list. People made in the image of God. People with histories, stories, families. People whose resources are minimal. People who are here in our own backyard for all different types of motives. They are here in the 78758 zip code. They're in your own zip codes as well. And the question for us to wrestle with, not only this morning, but in the weeks to come, is what is the church's responsibility to the sojourner, whether here legally or illegally? What is our kingdom responsibility to the invisibles among us? Well, that's a challenging question on many fronts. And if we're just looking at the sojourners here in this place, at this time, through a political lens, then we may need our vision adjusted. Interestingly enough, the book of Ruth begins with a sojourning story. And it's not someone who's coming to Bethlehem in Judah. That's not how the story begins. It actually begins in the reverse direction. So ironically, Bethlehem means house of bread. But at the beginning of the book of Ruth, the house of bread has run dry. There is a famine in the land. 
And when there is a famine in the ancient world, well, that's absolutely devastating. That is the worst-case scenario. Which brings us to the book of Ruth. We know that famine is terrible because it drove a Jewish family to flee and go to one of the enemies. We'll talk more about the Moabites in some upcoming sermons, but for now, let's just say that the Moabites are the lowest of the low when it comes to the neighboring nations of Judah. What madness would drive a man to take his wife and his two sons to the country of Moab? Well, the answer is a famine. So the story of Ruth begins with a Jewish family who gets involved with immigration. They are sojourners who need a fresh start in a foreign land with foreign customs and foreign gods. They have no land. They have no meaningful work. And yet they find food there. And then the unthinkable happens. Elimelech, the patriarch, dies, which means pleasant. The woman named Naomi is left alone. But it gets worse. We'll talk more about this next week, but the grief of losing a husband and then losing two sons turns pleasant into bitter. And it's only five verses there at the beginning of the book of Ruth, but it's easy to gloss over. It's easy to skip it and not take in this incredible tragedy that starts off the book. But aside from the grief, there's the disorientation of living in a foreign land. And now the woman named Pleasant becomes even more vulnerable, with no man to labor and to support her in this strange foreign place. Naomi has become one of the invisibles. And yet what we discover in the book of Ruth is that Naomi is not invisible to her God, even though there are times when she feels like it. Later in the story of Ruth and Boaz, we see that some, at least the people in Bethlehem, have their eyes for the invisibles. They've adjusted their vision to see people the way that God sees them. And as a way of making sure that we have the right prescription this morning, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you've marked it. One of the ways that we look at the Old Testament, besides the Old Testament being part of the one grand narrative of Scripture, but one of the ways that we apply the Old Testament is to think of it through the lens of this question. What does God care about? We see it in the Old Testament. We see that God cares about a great many things and a great many people. God has a special heart for the widows, the fatherless. And the sojourners. Deuteronomy chapter 10 is a kind of hinge chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. It's really Moses' last words to the people. Uh, Moses is not going to go into the promised land. He's going to send the children into the promised land. This is Moses' remember who you are speech that your parents used to give you whenever you would leave out and you'd go out on a date. Remember who you are, Moses tells the people. So the first part of Deuteronomy is Moses telling the story of the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's brought them to this place at this moment. The last part, chapters 12 through 26, are the laws and how they are to live in community with one another. So Deuteronomy 10 is a transition chapter. And these words form not only the background of the book of Ruth, 
but also it informs our thinking about the sojourners in our midst. So hear the word of God from Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. I wish we could read more. It's a beautiful chapter. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Verse 19, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall not serve him and hold fast to him, or you shall serve him and hold fast to him And by his name you shall swear, he is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things before your eyes. Your fathers went down to Egypt, seventy persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. Now for our purposes this morning, we want to hone in on that, that command, that imperative In verse 19, to love the sojourner. Sojourner being defined as a non-Israelite who comes to Israel because of war, because of natural disaster or famine or drought. They were not full citizens, even though they participated in a lot of the festivals of the Jews. Often they had no land. They would have been vulnerable. They would have been a target for exploitation. They would have been invisible, and yet God sees them. God not only sees them, God loves them. In this command for Israel to love the sojourner, Moses provides two motivations. The first motivation is God's very character. God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. Now, that's a very important verse in the book of Deuteronomy because any time that God's love is directed upon someone in the book of Deuteronomy, it is always to Israel, except here. God loves the sojourner. And this is played out in God feeding them and clothing them, something that we've participated in already at Brentwood Oaks. And the love that Israel is to show for the sojourner flows out of and is rooted in seeing the sojourner the way that God sees them. But there's a second motivation, and that comes in verse 19. It comes in Israel's own sojourning story. In particular, the story of Jacob's family having to relocate in Egypt. Why? Because of a famine. There were times in Israel's history when they were completely dependent upon the hospitality and the care of other nations. Sometimes those nations answered the call. Sometimes they didn't. But Moses says, remember your sojourning story as a way to to love the sojourner. So here we are at Brentwood Oaks. 
We are a people who have devoted ourselves and are trying to grow and are, are bringing people to faith. Are making disciples of all nations, as we've talked about over the last month with the Great Commission. But I would suggest that bringing people to faith begins first and foremost with our vision and seeing others the way that God sees them, the way that God sees us. So, how's your vision this morning? Can you see them? Can you see the invisibles in our midst? I plan to talk about this idea in the last sermon on this series, but I want to introduce it now. And that's the challenge to adopt a kingdom set of lenses. So I love my country. Uh, Both my granddads fought in World War II. We say the pledge at our house. We sing patriotic songs. I have deep admiration and love for my homeland. But always in recognition that we answer to a higher authority. That our allegiance first and foremost is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Whose kingdom does not operate by the rules of a fallen world. And whose scope is not contained within borders. And of course the prescription of the kingdom lenses that we've been called to have as God I would say clearly, is leading us to Breaker Lane and south of Breaker Lane. That comes with two sets of lenses. The same two lenses that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 10. The lens of God's character who loves the sojourner and feeds them and clothes them. But also the second lens of our own place in the sojourning story. We are pilgrims in this world. In fact, Peter calls the church sojourners. God has rescued us. God has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And as people who are strangers in this world, people who have been rescued, people who have found a home, and especially people who have found a table, We become part of the rescue mission of people who are far away from us and people who are just a few miles from this church building who need to hear the good news and whatever God does with that if we have the eyes to see. So we're going to spend some time reflecting on the God behind the scene. God sees the invisibles. God saw Naomi in her sojourn to Moab. God saw Ruth in her sojourn to Bethlehem. God sees and loves the sojourner. God sees you. God sees me. And he calls on his people to have that same vision in that same love. Well, we have an invitation this morning that's tied to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and Ruth chapter 1. 
Perhaps there are some things, some distractions in this world, maybe even some idolatry that is clouding your vision this morning. Whatever that may be, we have the invitation to surrender that idolatry, to break it against the wall, and to give ourselves even more holy to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to respond to the good news of the crucified and the risen Lord, and the inbreaking of his kingdom into this world, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.